from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is John Small, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. With me today, I've got Ben Larson, who is a serial entrepreneur and investor and a startup advisor. Ben is also the CEO of Vertosa, which is a cannabis company that creates active ingredients for infused products, including its patented and patent-pending emulsion systems. He's going to talk about that. Prior to this, Ben co-founded Gateway, which is a cannabis startup accelerator and venture fund. And Ben is also an outspoken critic of Delta 8 and says he would never work with a Delta 8 client. Want to talk all about that. Delta 8, very controversial topic. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, John. I'm excited to, to dive in here. Yeah, we got we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quick correction, just so that the, we, we get people to like put away the pitchforks and torches just for a little bit. Nothing against the Delta 8 compound itself at first blush, but I have many concerns, especially with the proliferation of these hemp-derived psychotropics. So we can dive into that in a bit. Yeah, let's get into that. Okay, nope. So we Delta 8, if any, if Delta 8 is listening... We don't, it's not, this is not personal Delta 8. We like you. We just don't like what people are doing with you and, and the way that it has pro- proliferated uh, the market in a way, in an unregulated way, which is probably dangerous. But we'll get into that. First, I just want to get a little bit about you. You know, our listeners are always interested in people who have had success in the business. Tell me a little bit about what Vertosa is, why, why you started Vertosa, and, and what you guys do. Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, we we manufacture active ingredients. And, and what that means is we help people infuse their products. So oftentimes they'll come to us with a base concept or even a formulation and say, can you help me infuse this? And we try to make it as fast acting, stable, predictable as, as possible. Why we created the company kind of goes back to my time at Gateway when I started to realize that the supply chain really was in need of trustworthy supply chain partners. There's this huge drive, especially in cannabis, to to vertically integrate and create these walled gardens of of whether it's technology or or unique insights or or strains. And we're much of the opinion that trustworthy technologies and, and service providers needed to be made available to everyone in the supply chain so that it didn't require you know, vertical integration. And so now, you know, we work with about a hundred brands in the space. Instead of being the secret sauce, you know, we're just trying to create the standard for what an active ingredient derived from cannabis should be. It should be as reliable as ordering organic caffeine or something like that, that you'd be adding to your product. And what is emulsion? When we talk about emulsion, what does that mean? Sure. Emulsion is essentially the science between oil and water and making them stable together. And so there's ingredients that will enrobe an oil droplet and make it dispersible and stable in water. And when you add the word nano onto it, um, it's a, a process of which you're adding energy into kind of the mixing of these ingredients so that you can achieve a new steady state. And often the result is a very small oil droplet that is really easy for the the body to absorb, break down, and, and absorb into the bloodstream, and that's why, you know, with these infused beverages that we're we're very much well known for, but also other form factors like fast acting gummies and and what have you. That's why you can start to feel it a lot sooner than a typically uh, a typical oil infused product. What is the biggest challenge you face with emulsion? Because I guess oil and water don't mix, right? That's like, right. <laughs> <laughs> so that could be one of your challenges. Until now, it, yeah. Until now. Yeah. 
So without getting too sciencey, like what is the the challenge that a lot of people face when they're trying to infuse cannabis, infuse products with cannabis? The concept of, of an emulsion is is not rocket science, right? You you take an oil, sometimes another oil to kind of adjust the viscosity. You add water, and then you have these ingredients called surfactants. Some combination thereof, it's a bunch of different ratios, a bunch of different ingredient sources that you can use to create these emulsion systems. But the secret of creating a good emulsion system is really understanding stability, compatibility, homogenization in kind of a suspended liquid, uh, in the case of beverages at least. And so all these things, there's all these different factors that you have to really pay attention to when creating your emulsion system and then recognize that wherever it's going, whatever the intended um, outcome is, may be different. And so you have to really, we do a ton of research, right? We have an entire catalog of different emulsion systems that have different applications, um, have different outcomes depending on how you manufacture, what the end product is going into from a packaging perspective, all these things. But at the end of the day, it's really important for cannabis because this is one of the first times where an emulsion system is being used for a hyper-accurate delivery of medicine, right? So you want to put five milligrams or even less, two milligrams of THC into a, a retail product in California that potency has to be within 10% and has to remain within 10%. And this is a this is a higher threshold than you would get in the realm of pharmaceuticals and, and, and other products. And so being able to do that and deliver it on a consistent basis is where we've really started to hang our hat. Yeah. Is there anything that doesn't mix with cannabis? Like have you ever anybody ever come to you with a product and say, we want to infuse this with cannabis and it's just like it's not going to it's not going to mix. It's not like peanut butter and chocolate. I'm not the scientist. <laughs> I'll start I'll start by saying that we'll leave that to Dr. Han, uh, our chief scientist. But really, we've kind of made it our goal to be able to infuse everything. And so the oil extracted from the plant, you can infuse basically that anything that is oil based. Right. That's why we see kind of a lot of a lot of chocolates and tinctures uh, when we think about the early products in the market, baked goods and what have you. Now that we have kind of these, quote unquote, water soluble uh, or what I like to call it, water dispersible ingredients, we now have access to creating beverages or these fast acting gummies where you're entering into a water phase. So basically any product that is water based or oil based, we can now infuse. And so I think that pretty much covers most of pretty much uh, of any what food we know. Group. <laughs> yeah. Not inanimate objects, not my hat or something, but you can, but pretty much any food group, it seems like you can. I think I've seen uh, infused neck pillows, but I haven't bought one. Yeah, I, I actually have a CBD. Very effective. <laughs> I actually have a CBD pillow in it. I have to say it doesn't really work, but uh, but I did get one. Well, that's it's super interesting. Are you able to name some of your clients, or are they very, is that very much like a a, a secret? Uh, yeah, we're we're actually very proud. Um, and and we don't off the bat we actually get them to opt in, but we have done a lot of work with um, Paps Blue Ribbon or Paps Labs uh, as they're known in this this side of the industry. Do some infusion work with the good folks over at Canacraft and Lagunitas, and then on the gummy side, we do close work with with Nug and a company called Daytrip. Can't name all the clients on that side. Oh, and then we, we had a nice uh, a nice collab with with Plus. And actually, I do want to shout out this product. They have a, a sleep gummy where they, they really thought of um, the infusion technology in a, like a more sophisticated fashion where they took some of the cannabinoids and nano emulsified them to get that fast acting, uh, fast absorption, and then did an oil infusion of the CBN cannabinoids to make sure that 
it was a long lasting effect and it actually created a really lovely product. And then from a marketing standpoint on the front, you know, they were the first product that I've really seen that says like dual action. And so really kind of highlighting the opportunity there for that kind of like time release. Is that a gummy? It is a gummy. Yeah. All right, so you work a lot, you said with beverages, I would imagine like there's, um, well, I don't know what you call them, what can and eat, what like, like Lagodista does. It's not beer because you right, but sometimes it tastes a little bit like beer, but it has cannabis in it. Yeah. So we've infused wines, uh, dealkalized wines, dealkalized beers. There's a lot of seltzers on the market, uh, juice-based, uh, carbonated juices, waters, you name it. Uh, we've infused it. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we do a lot of work in other regions outside of California. So we have a pretty strong base in Canada. In fact, of the market sales this this month in Ontario. I think about 54% of the beverages that sold in, in Canada were, were infused by us. And so... So you work a lot with beverages, gummies, you, you mentioned like baked goods. What about like savory products? Are those... I'm just wondering if that's a thing that we can expect to see in the future. Like we all know about gummies. That was like the first to the to the scene. And then the, now the drinks seem to be a big thing. Are we looking at like... I've been to some conventions where I see things like olive oil and like salt and you know, I don't know, things that are more savory. What, what What's your... Th- take on that? Yeah, I think there's an opportunity for it. I just, I know up until now, and I've actually, I've worked with a, a number of companies that have done it. And so it's, I think it's just a very niche category right now. And we need the cannabis market to get bigger before it really actually becomes a thing. One of my favorite companies, uh, a woman-owned, Asian-owned brand here in California, Potley, they've done some really cool ones. They have like uh, shrimp chips and She's great. sriracha. Yep. Yeah. She, and a lot of it is like her family recipes. Yeah, I've, yeah, met, I've met her in an event. Yeah. So let's talk about Delta Eight. Elephant in the room. As you said in in the opener of the show, you're not against Delta Eight as a compound. I mean, it is what it is. Maybe let's explain, you know, I know we're both not scientists, but just in the most basic level, let's explain to our audience what Delta Eight is. Yeah. So Delta Eight is a different isomer of THC, right? So there's Delta 8, Delta 9, Delta 10, uh, so on and so forth. I think I even heard Delta 7 recently. Isn't there like a Delta 11 when you process, I think when you, in your liver, the Delta 11, yeah. Uh, The 11-hydroxy, yeah. So that's another form of THC. Um, Not one that's being uh, formulated right now that I know of. It's formulated by your body. But there's like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's a metabolite. But yeah, to that point, Delta 8 is known for, for being a little less heady than THC. So when you consume it, you get that body relaxation, but you're still fairly clear-headed. So as a lightweight, I actually really enjoy Delta 8. We have Wonder, which is an infused beverage company here in California that that does use the Delta 8 cannabinoid in the regulated cannabis market, which I'm a big fan of. And I really like their product because I can consume a couple and, and still uh, be with it. Because like I said, you know, my, my normal dose of, of THC is probably around five milligrams. So having a little bit more uh, flexibility in, in how much I consume is, is always welcome. So Delta-8 as a cannabinoid generally appears on the plant in like kind of a natural form in like the sub 1% realm, often 0.1%. And so not widely available. If you're pointing to the safety of Delta-8 based on like, oh, it's existing cannabis, it's like, sure, but like at what concentrations? And what we're seeing now in the market is a lot of manufactured Delta-8. So basically, people are converting CBD, going through a chemical synthesization. That is not a word, but we'll we'll just we'll leave use it. There. it. We're gonna make that. <laughs> um, and ending up, you know, with with Delta Eight. So my concern largely is in the unregulated market, 
where just the testing standards aren't where they are in the regulated market. And not only that, these are certainly psychoactive compounds that people are selling in all different forms and marketing as like super CBD and, and telling gas station owners that it's completely safe and completely legal. And so the checks and balances aren't there. And so they can really get into the hands of anyone. So you have kind of kind of multiple legs of the the kind of public safety stool that that are of concern from my perspective. No, I'm glad you bring it up because it, it is worrisome. It's, it doesn't reflect well on the industry. You know, the industry is already under the uh, microscope of a lot of prohibitionists. And when they something like Delta 8 is out there and people in an unregulated way and you can get it. Kids can think that they're taking CBD or something, but it actually has Delta 8. It almost seems like a sneaky way that people are getting around, getting people high with, you know, that's getting through, getting past the FDA and getting past the law. And that is always a recipe sort of for disaster ultimately. Well, and to take it a step further, like, you know, I was, when it was just Delta 8, I think I was kind of like, watching and waiting and just certainly skeptical of of the practice, but wasn't reacting too emotionally. But a very similar process has now led to people because people weren't being reprimanded or regulated. People are now using the same process to convert to Delta 9 and Delta 10 and THCO acetate, which again, I'm not the scientist, but I have heard and read that THCO acetate has an even stronger effect than THC and being sold on the open market. Like you can go online right now and order it straight to your doorstep from another state for cheaper than you can get it from a local dispensary, which is kind of inherently the other part I take issue with. You know, I've been working in this industry and working towards legalization for the better part of a decade now. And it's really hard for me to watch the operators in the cannabis industry that are really trying to make a go of it, watch them being undercut by these unregulated products. Just underscores, yeah, the reason that we need federal legalization. I mean, this is, again, another reason. Which like puts me, like the advocate in me, in a really like complicated space because, you know, rewind 10 years ago and be like, yeah, access is great and like these rules are untenable, but it's like we've actually made really good headway in the legalization movement. Nowhere near as fast as everyone wants it to move, but like look how many states have legalized over the last 10 years. Like look how many conversations have started at the federal level when they never were even like, a figment of the imagination. So it's like, we're getting closer. Yes, it's not happening as fast as we want it, but man, like to undercut the trust that we've earned with regulators, consumers, and 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 just the general community. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it makes me a little bit scared of, of what a reaction from the federal government or the FDA would look like. And, and we've seen it in some ways, right? It is the demonization of Delta 8 that actually I also take issue with. It's like, I've seen states just completely outlaw a cannabinoid. And that seems like so misdirected, but it's because they're responding to them being openly available on the market. So yeah, it's it's really complicated. So you would work with a company that uses Delta 8, but you'd want to make sure that it was a regulated, that it was pure, that it really was Delta 8. It was natural Delta 8, right? Which of course you would be responsible for because you're the one who's... Yeah, regulated, safe, tested. And you know, when we do testing at our level, we call it the big six. We put things through... Uh, microbial, mold, pesticide, solvent, just all of these battery of tests that have a really high threshold of required to kind of put these ingredients in the market. If we could be guaranteed that that was happening on the open market, then I'd be a little less, uh, I guess, critical of it. But I know they're not. Like, I know there's a lot of products on the market and it's not all of them. I'll acknowledge that. But kind of like when you're in working in the unregulated market, you all get unfortunately bunched into the same bucket. You know, there was a young lady just passed away in the UK, right? Because she had purchased a cannabis synthetic gummy 
ate it, and then died. And it's like, well, that wouldn't happen in the regulated cannabis market. It is only going to happen in the unregulated cannabis market. And frankly, because all these, maybe there are a bunch of good products out there, but it's those good products that are are building, frankly, unwarranted trust of an unregulated market. And so it's like, you kind of get bunched into the same bucket in that case. It's like, unregulated is unregulated. And these products are are going to be confusing to consumers because they're not really black market products. They should be, right? But they, like you said, you can buy them online. And- yeah, I mean, some of them are getting really good. Like the branding, I'm like, I applaud some of the branding that I've seen. It's just like, wow, this is it's a very. You wouldn't know that you're doing anything wrong if you were to go to a website that's like at the tip of my tongue, but I'm not going to put them on blast. <laughs> yeah, where do you see? So you're as an advocate. What's your take on legalization, like federal legalization? Are we many years away from that? Are you happy with sort of just state by state the way it's kind of going now, or would you like to see it ramp up with a federal legalization in this country? Um, I think a broad sweeping federal legalization is a long ways away. I do think that there's incremental steps that we can take to get there that will keep me mm, content, I guess. Not that I'm like super content with the way that things are, but like, you know, it's progressing and we we know what it is, right? And and I'm okay with that. We've actually adjusted our business strategy based on that so that one of the the values that we bring to our customers is that we do operate in different states and our goal is to create the same ingredients in every state and use those local supply chains and so that brands can transcend borders. The need for that would largely go away if there was cross-state commerce, but I think we might see cross-state commerce before we get a full federal legalization scheme. We might see adjacent legal states that that adopt some sort of interstate trade. I would very much be in favor of that. I think federal legalization at this point, because it has waited so long, is going to just be incredibly complicated. Like, especially when I start to think about all the equity programs that each state has arduously, like, you know, tried, or not every state, but many states have arduously tried to put in, like, programs that help underserved entrepreneurs and communities, like, really build businesses in the space, although many of them are failing, especially here in California. How do you honor those programs that have been created and create, like, a wide, you know, federally open legal system? So it's never, it's never going to be, like, an overnight type of thing, I think. I think we'll be lucky and I'm optimistic that we'll see safe banking for for the industry and maybe shortly after that, um, some select cross-state commerce. How does your advocacy manifest itself? Like, are you on Capitol Hill lobbying? Like, what do you do? Like, tell me about your role as an advocate. Yeah, man, it's it's just, frankly, I when we started Gateway, yes, there was a little tongue-in-cheek about the Gateway drug and trying to turn like that stigmatization around the, uh, around the, the word on its head. But really, for me, it was a gateway to knowledge. I was not a big consumer before I came into the into the industry. But it was around that time that I started learning about, you know, Charlotte Figgy and the impact that cannabis has had on not only children in general, uh, positive influence, but like, you know, just the these ailments that aren't well treated by any other pharmaceutical drug or veterans that are coming back from war and have PTSD and how they're suffering and and like just not being given access to something like I, I just found that astounding. And so as I started converting my tech career into a cannabis career, I used very much the same platform that I had to go and start educating people. So I spent a lot of time in my first few years traveling to Europe, talking and educating people about cannabis and 
why it's not just for for stoners and and Rastafarians as, as it often is, uh, especially in Germany, right? And we've seen how much progress has happened in Germany um, over the last five years. Why Europe? Why were you going to Europe? I was actually traveling there a lot already for I helped grow startup ecosystems uh, throughout Europe and beyond, and so you know I spent a lot of time on on stages at like these tech conferences and decided to turn it to cannabis tech. Um, and you know it was edgy, so the the organizers were always excited to have the topic, and I just used that as an opportunity to emotionally connect people to the very positive you know impact that cannabis can have on the world, and so. You know, it's still woven into what I do today. You know, our, our internal mantra at Vertosa is to infuse the world. And we all believe it every morning when we get back to work. It's just like we know that if we progress our mission in infusing the world, that we'll make it a better place. Well, where do you see what's the future with emulsion? I mean, we kind of talked about this a little bit at the top of the show, but or what's the future of cannabis? Like, what are you excited about? that's happening right now in the world of cannabis that you think if you were an entrepreneur interested in getting into the business or expanding, scaling their business, what are some of the opportunities you see right now? Yeah, I think it's just the maturation of the the understanding of the plant and its role in consumer products and medicine. And frankly, how those two worlds kind of collide and it's like this the spectrum, right? I think in, in Western society, we do a really bad job of like, understanding things on a spectrum. We're so quick to apply labels. And we've seen this with mental health, right? It's like when someone has ADHD or is OCD, like it's a spectrum. And and like, I think everything in life is a spectrum. Like who's to say that a glass of scotch at 5 p.m. isn't some sort of medicine, right? If it helps you let go of the day. Same with cannabis, obviously. Uh, everyone probably listening to this podcast believes this for cannabis. And now working with clients and making the plant more accessible and understanding the plant better, we're having a deeper understanding of the products that we're creating. You know, what are the ingredients going inside? Are they good for the body? You know, like we think about that not only on the cannabinoid level, but also like the other ingredients that we use, you know, is, is everything sustainably sourced? Is it organic? You know, these are things that we can answer, but we get to work with amazing brands that are being really creative about how these cannabinoids and terpenes interact with other active ingredients, other plant-derived medicine. And I think that's really exciting. And with AAPI month coming up, we're doing a great collab with a, with a couple brands where you know we get to talk about how Eastern culture influences the adoption of cannabis and how cannabis really is an excellent opportunity to educate, well, everyone, but especially the AAPI community on, on you know, what is health and wellness and, and where can it come from. Right. Well, this has been really interesting. Ben Larson, thank you. If people want to find out more about Vertosa, where should they go? Uh, it's vertosa.com. V as in Victor, E-R-T-O-S-A.com. Well, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, head on over to greenentrepreneur.com for the latest cannabis and CBD news, thoughtful essays, tips, and insider tricks on how to succeed in the cannabis business, all that good stuff. And hey, if you like this podcast, do me a huge solid and go to wherever you may listen to your podcast and please rate and review our podcast. It does wonders for the algorithm, helps others find the podcast would so appreciate a review and a rating. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.